Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Jacob Avila, and today, as with most days, Michael Pratt and Craig Bolger are also here to talk about a very interesting study. The article is entitled Sonogram of Safety. Ultrasound outperforms the fifth intercostal space landmark for tube thoracostomy site selection and was published in the Journal of Clinical Ultrasound in 2020. Now, you guys, chest tubes are some of like my favorite things to put in. Um, I don't know how you feel about it, but I mean, I don't want anybody to be sick, but if people are sick, I really enjoy uh, that this is doable because it's it's easy and it often almost immediately fixes the problem. But here's the thing. How often do our patients have diaphragms that probably aren't in the right location? Now, this is something that I've definitely wondered before, and the authors of this study wondered it so much so that they actually created a study to figure out how often the diaphragm is below the place where we traditionally place chest tubes or that we teach that chest tubes should be placed. This study was a single academic center and they were asking, can ultrasound help with the location, doing, doing chest tubes more safely and more accurately compared to anatomic landmarks. Um, so inclusion uh, criteria was showing up to the ER. Um, you had to be able to lift your arms above your head, and that was pretty much it. So, hands up, lay in an ER bed, and you're in the study. Um, exclusion criteria were any pregnant patients, prisoners, children, patients greater than 99 years of age, or those who refused or could not consent. And this was a prospective convenience sample. Again, anyone who was in the emergency room could be enrolled. Um, these were typically not patients getting tube thoracostomies. And for the anatomical approach, they palpated to identify where they thought the fifth intercostal space would be and where the person palpating would ideally go based on landmarks for chest tube placement, mid-axillary line, and then they marked this. Um, they then ultrasounded the same area, noting the location of the diaphragm, changes in the diaphragm location with respirations, and repeated this on the contralateral side as well. Patient's height, weight, gender, any past medical history, any past surgical history, specifically thoracic surgery was documented. And what they wanted to see primarily was where they marked with landmarks, was that consistently above the diaphragm when identified with ultrasound throughout the respiration cycle. So they used a scoring system, and what the scoring system said was your anatomic landmarks were correct and your chest tube with inspiration or expiration would not be below the diaphragm or your chest tube would be placed below the diaphragm or there was no crossing depending on respiration. So they looked at how accurate was ultrasound compared to your anatomic landmarks and how likely would your chest tube be successful based on anatomic landmarks compared to ultrasound with inspiration and expiration. When they talked about the palpation to find the landmark space, they noted that the palpation began at the angle of Louis, which I had not really heard of before. It turns out it's just another name for the sternal angle or the manubrial sternal junction. But, you know, there's often a fascinating history to these eponymous names. 
For this one, it's not that fascinating. <laughs> but there is controversy. Here's a really useless fact that will probably be the only thing you remember from this podcast. That's right. There is controversy because nobody knows who it's named after. I mean, there's, according to a very reputable source called Wikipedia, it could have been either Antoine Louis, a French clinician, or Wilhelm Friedrich von Ludwig, a German physician. I don't know how the name became Louis. But other people say maybe it was another doctor, Pierre Charles Alexander Louis. So you take your pick. The angle of Louis is just another great way to describe the sternal angle. I vote that we, I just have some, I'm sorry I'm interrupting you, but it's really important. I think that we should rename it the angle of Pratt's. <laughs> of all the uh, anatomy I, that could be named after me, I guess that's not a bad option. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for that vote. You're welcome. In any case, let's get down to the results. So they had 50 patients. And remember, again, these are 50 emergency department patients that were there for any reason, and they did not require a chest tube necessarily. So with the 50 patients, each one of them had two sides, so they ended up with 100 sides. This was about 40% female, and about 20% of these patients had some pre-existing lung disease like COPD or asthma. One patient had required a prior tube thoracostomy, but no one else had really had a history of any thoracic procedures. So their primary outcome, how often did that diaphragm cross the anatomical intercostal space? The answer is 19% either crossed or stayed above that space. That's bad. That is terrifying. So 81% were good. The diaphragm stayed below, so it was not in danger if you were to put a tube in that spot. 13% crossed it, meaning it was kind of coming back and forth. And then 6% just stayed above, making it almost certain that you would puncture through and poke something you don't want to. Some other interesting findings from this study, if you break it down by laterality, it turns out that the right was 20% and the left was 18%, pretty similar. I guess that's not that interesting. And if you break it down by gender, females actually had a higher percentage of diaphragms that crossed or stayed above that spot, 26 compared to 14% in males. I wonder if that has anything to do with maybe like lung volumes at baseline or something like that. Like I'm wondering like why anatomically there'd be like a difference. Just curious. Or palpation relation to breast tissue. Okay. That could be another one. Yeah. Like if they're maybe afraid to palpate as aggressively in a female, which I think happens a lot, or just that you get, like if there's more adipose tissue in the axilla or anything like that, where you just feel like you should be starting at a different spot when you start counting. That's a good point, and that probably happens in real life. But in this study, they confirmed the spot with ultrasound by sonographically counting the ribs. So it should be in the same actual spot, at least in the right intercostal space. But I don't know. Remember that they broke this down into the percentage of diaphragms crossing. So that, that means they counted each person twice. So it was an, a total of 19% of hemi diaphragms that crossed but it you may be wondering how many patients is that how many actual people and so in some 24 percent of the people that they tested ended up having their diaphragm in a bad spot for a chest tube that's a that's a pretty significant proportion 
That worries me. It is, but if you think about that, it's a smaller number than we actually thought, right? Because we're counting each diaphragm twice, which means that it's that person's anatomy. How many people are getting bilateral chest tubes, right? So your chance of failing is actually smaller than that scary number. It's still high and still more than I'd like to have for comfort's sake. But I think if we think about it that way, that like this person individually has a chance of failure, regardless of side, rarely are we putting bilateral chest tubes in. And if we are, you're usually on the verge of coding. So you have bigger problems than my chest tube probably. All right, now I think the big limitation of the study that we've already touched upon is that these are not patients who actually needed a chest tube and these patients did not actually get a chest tube to see if there would be a complication. So this is highly theoretical, but still very thought-provoking and concerning. Do you guys have any other thoughts about this study? So I have an interest, I think, in this study, and I think it's a good idea um, for the new skill kind of integrated into scope of practice in the U.S. It's been in the field in Europe for and outside of the U.S. for a while, which is pre-hospital finger thoracostomies. And so if this is a low incidence, high risk procedure, which it is, and you're not as comfortable palpating anatomy because it's just not something you're typically looking at, I think ultrasound could be really beneficial in the field, which is a whole separate side, is getting ultrasound into the field for identifying where to do your finger thoracostomies. Um, you know, especially in the state of Ohio, this just became a big to-do getting integrated in. And again, if you're not doing finger thoracostomies frequently or need to know when to do them, and then secondly, where to do them, this could be really beneficial if it proves to be helpful because it's bad to stick your tube in the liver in a hospital where you can go fix that problem. But it's even worse to stick your finger in a liver on a street in the middle of nowhere. One thing that I thought about this study too was it almost struck me as a type of incorporation bias. So incorporation bias is when your gold standard for comparison incorporates something that you're testing, which obviously is going to skew your results. So like the classic example is if you're testing how sensitive troponin is for acute MI, but you're defining acute MI based on an elevated troponin, obviously that's going to present some problems. So what I see happening in this study is that they're trying to make the argument, or at least trying to make the idea that ultrasound should be used to guide your tube thoracostomies. But then they're also, so they're testing the strength of how good ultrasound is for identifying that spot, but they're also using the ultrasound to test if that was a good spot or not. What I'm saying is it would have been nice if there was a third standard here to compare whether this spot was a good idea or not. So like if they actually put chest tubes into this spot and use that as the standard, appropriately place chest tube or not, then it would have made it a lot stronger argument that ultrasound is better than palpation. Or if you use like a marker and compared, I know this is going to be a bad gold standard x-ray, right? With a radiographic marker, place where you would have put it, take the film and see would you have been above or below. There is actually like some literature in the cancer literature, uh, people that used ultrasound to guide their, not chest tube, but their thoracentesis. 
um, when they use, and this is retrospective data mining, but I think it's it kind of goes along with what you guys were saying. It's at uh, around 10% risk of a pneumothorax um, without ultrasound guidance, whereas it was under 1% when ultrasound guidance was used. So there is like a lot of data out there that kind of like hints at you know, ultrasound is better at the placement of chest tubes. But I think the study was basically just asking, when does the diaphragm cross this point? Which I don't think it was, I mean, it, it is saying that ultrasound is safer, but the study design, it's more like, how often does the diaphragm cross this point? Rather than like, is ultrasound better than landmark guidance for the placement of chest tubes? Right. I'm just thinking down the road, what we'd like to prove is maybe ultrasound actually saves you from complications. The other thing I'd like to see, because a lot of times, um, at least in my mind, where, where I'm mostly placing chest tubes, is trauma patients. So I want to know, does this, the time to placement, because a lot of times, about 50% of the time you're placing it, it's in a very time-sensitive emergent manner, right? Whether it's a tension pneumo, penetrating trauma, borderline code penetrating trauma, tension hemothorax, like what's the time difference? And I'd love to see that as a follow-up study is time to accessing the thoracic cavity. Is there a difference using ultrasound or not? I would presume there is because you have to have a whole extra step involved. Um, and then comparing time and accuracy in success rates, I think are all things that I'd like to see down the road as follow-ups to this. You know, these are healthy people who aren't getting chest tubes. But what about that unhealthy, unstable patient? Is there a difference? I would also say that it probably also needs to be done with comfort with a chest tube, right? Because that seasoned trauma surgeon who's done hundreds of chest tubes, ultrasound's probably going to hinder them versus that newbie intern who's like second guessing themselves 12 times over as to where they're putting it because everybody said, don't poke you know, the liver. This might actually help them. Now, uh, just one last thing that we should at least discuss, and we actually, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, Jacob and I interviewed some of the authors of this paper on Ultrasound Podcast, so we'll actually get to hear from them in a Ultrasound Podcast episode that will be released around the same time as this episode. So I want to pose the same question to you guys. Based on this study, why shouldn't we just say, go a little bit higher, like aim for the third intercostal or aim closer to the axilla instead of saying use ultrasound? We think some of that comes into question as to why you're doing the chest tube to begin with. For air, it's probably fine because it's going to distribute evenly, but for blood or pus, like it's going to be more dependent and depending on the position of your patient and the angle of your chest tube, it may not be as effective if you're going higher and aiming higher. Um, I guess the other thing would be the size of your patient. If you're trying to bury all the holes and you go higher, your chance in a smaller patient of not being able to successfully bury all your ports is higher if you're going into a higher intercostal space, right? Because there's less potential space for the tube to feed into or you're going to breach the mediastinum. That's a good point. So there's advantages to going lower as well. So I think that makes sense. And so you want to go in the Goldilocks spot, not too high, not too low, where you're getting optimal placement without concern for damaging organs. 
Well, let me summarize this study. This was a prospective convenient sample of emergency department patients, 100 hemithorses, testing if the landmark-derived fifth intercostal space location would result in potential complications when placing a tube thoracostomy. So using ultrasound, they found that there was a potential for diaphragm or subdiaphragmatic organ injury in 19% of the locations they surveyed. Take-home points from this article are that placing a tube thoracostomy in the fifth intercostal space at the mid-axillary line has the potential for serious complication or organ injury in a significant proportion of asymptomatic patients, meaning patients who in this study did not require a chest tube. So there may be a role for point-of-care ultrasound in determining the safest location for tube thoracostomy. So thanks so much to the authors. This is a brilliantly done study. It's simple. It's elegant. It gives us a lot of food for thought. And thank you to the listeners for continuing to support our podcast. On that note, I wanted to make an announcement. Our 100th episode of Ultrasound Gel is quickly approaching. And as part of this, I wanted to say that we are so grateful for all of the listeners who have supported us over the years, and so we're going to do something special. Since the listeners are such a large part of the podcast, we wanted to celebrate that and include your voices on the podcast. Here's the idea. We're asking you right now to start dreaming. We want to hear your dreams of the perfect ultrasound research study. What types of scans do you think we need more data on? What novel applications need tested? Are there different populations that we haven't tested yet? It doesn't have to be reasonable, doesn't have to be possible, anything. The sky is the limit. Here's what you do to get your idea to us. Record a less than one minute clip of you introducing yourself, stating your idea, and email it to me, mike at ultrasoundgel.org. You can go through the website, or if you don't feel like having your voice on a podcast or you aren't able to record it, you can just tweet it to us, email it to us, and we can read it out for you. We're really hoping you'll participate in this. I think it'll make for a great 100th podcast. And that is it for today. You can always go to ultrasoundgel.org. You can follow us on Twitter or visit our Facebook page. Until next time, we will talk to you later. Sorry, it was those uh, two sandwiches I wolfed down just now.